challenge and rebuke us where that's needed and make us good at uh, being disciple makers in our midst. And we ask this, Father, for your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. April 1986. I don't know where you were, uh, if you can remember quite that precisely. Uh, I don't remember it, but I can tell you what happened. There was a, a man and a woman, a husband and a wife, who made what many would regard as a truly remarkable decision. They, uh, they chose to uh, get rid of most of their possessions. They sold what they could. They gave away what they couldn't. And they, uh, they found a couple of places to do some long-term storage uh, for a few personal keepsakes. They said goodbye to their friends, to their family, uh, with no expectation of seeing them or being able to communicate with them for a very long period of time. Uh, they, they turned their backs on what could have been a career in counselling. They packed what belongings they had left to them into a couple of suitcases and they got on a plane with their uh, five-year-old and two-year-old boys to go to a country that the husband had been to once and the wife had never been to, where they spoke a language that neither of them knew, and where they really only had an expectation, well, it would take them a year or more before they would be able to communicate in any way effectively with the people where they were going. All to make disciples of Jesus. Now, as I, as I kind of get to the stage of life that they must have been at when they made that decision, it strikes me as all the more remarkable, as astonishing what they did. I mean, I, I look at my house and the stuff that it is full of, and just trying to picture getting rid of 95% of that is just, oh... I think about my friends and family. I mean, we're talking in April 1986. There was no internet back then. There were no personal computers, really, at that stage. There's no email and, and, and voice chat, let alone video chat and all this kind of stuff. I don't know if you remember what it was like back then. Phone calls, international phone calls, used to cost, what, $10 a minute or whatever it was that you had to speak for. We went to Melbourne recently, right? There's an hour and a half flight with my two... I mean, Eleanor and Oliver are kind of the age that those two boys were. An hour and a half long flight was enough compared to the 18-hour long flight they had to take to get the family there. All to go and make disciples of Jesus. Now, on the one hand, we look at people like that and we say, man, they are amazing people. They are outstanding they are remarkable they are something special and unique but you know what they're not they're my parents i mean they're just normal plain everyday slightly broken people right i mean that's just now i can't really badmouth them too much um because because mum does sometimes listen to the sermons so hi mum uh, happy birthday, Dad. I guess I could have called you, but anyway, you'll listen to this soon enough. <laughs> they are just bog-standard normal people. I mean, they, 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 they're farmers' kids from central west New South Wales, right? Dad's slightly paranoid and mum battled depression for ages and they're just, they're just normal people. They came to the big city to go to university and somewhere along the line, they were captured with exactly what we have been talking about. Their hearts were gripped by this command that Jesus gave them, go and make disciples of all the nations. The same command that Jesus gives us. Go 
and make disciples of all the nations. Now last week and this week as we keep talking about disciple making, we're we're talking about where disciples are made. If you were here last week, you would have heard Joe speak as, uh, as we, we, we talked about the nations and going to the ends of the earth to spread the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, of course, it's made slightly easier for most of us in that God has very kindly brought the nations to us. If you want to go and preach the gospel to the nations, most of us just need to go and knock on the door of our neighbor and we can do it. And yet it is also right for us to send those who will go out to the ends of the earth. In fact, we are the beneficiaries of that command because we are the nations. Christianity is not a Western white religion. Christianity is an ancient Near Eastern religion and we really are the ends of the earth from where it started. We are the nations. Now, if last week, in a sense, was looking outward to be disciple makers, this week is more looking inward. In the midst of our families, in the midst of our extended family, which is the church gathering. Now, of course, the how doesn't change. We don't have one way of making disciples outside the church and a different way of making disciples inside the church. It's still the same. Do you remember how we make disciples? Ah, four Ps, very good. Not green Ps, right? The four Ps, remember what they were? People, as God's fellow workers, prayerfully dependent on the Holy Spirit, proclaiming the word of God. And what was the last one? This is the tricky one. Persevering, step by step, not giving up, continuing on. It doesn't change. Whether we're talking about going across the sea and going to Argentina, as my parents did, to do, right? or whether we're talking about us here, church, family, the how doesn't change. But I want to talk specifically about these two spheres, making disciples in church and making disciples at home. It's kind of the focus of what we're looking at today. Now, as we talk about making disciples in our church community, I want to make sure that we are clear about what I mean when I use the word church. I'm going to use that word a lot this morning. I don't mean by church an organization. Disciples are made in, in somehow by St. Barnabas Anglican Church, as if that means that the staff make disciples or the Bible study group leaders make disciples or, or our events make disciples. All those things are true. But what I mean by church, quite simply, is God's people gathered. Disciples are made in the midst of God's people being together. Now, that does include this time and this space, but it's bigger than that. Our, our small groups midweek, the time when you get together with another Christian to pray, the, the, the prayer triplets you're a part of, the Christians gathering and doing life together is what I mean by church community. Now we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 10 together for, for a bit to start with. Uh, so turn it up if you haven't got Hebrews 10 open. Hebrews chapter 10 has got, I think, a pastor's favourite verse in it. If you're going to just proof text and grab a verse out, Hebrews 10.25 has got to be the favourite, Right? Let us not give up meeting together. You, go to church. How good is that? But I don't want to just take that verse in and of itself and say, this is what we must do, go to church. I want to take a run up to it. I want us to understand who we are. Who is it that God has made us, his people to be, that we might then come to these instructions. So I'm really going to read through Hebrews 10 again. Uh, Hebrews 10 is, uh, like most of Hebrews, a contrast. It's a contrast between the law, what was, which kind of 
really didn't work and what is, which does work in the Lord Jesus Christ. Right, Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 1 goes as follows. Here's the big picture, the contrast between what didn't work and what does. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. The the law, this old covenant that God's people had, it wasn't the real deal. It was a shadow. It was supposed to show you something. And so for this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. If it could, would they have not stopped being offered? Right? If you had to come with cows to church and slaughter them, Every time you came to church, or a sheep, or a pigeon, or whatever it was that we were going, and just rivers of blood were going to make our carpet red. Ah, oh, anyway, we already have red carpet. It's, yeah, that's youth group. <laughs> it didn't work. They did these sacrifices day after day, year after year. It was only a shadow. If it had worked, once would have been enough. They would have been made perfect. The worshippers would have been cleansed once for all, would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices were an annual reminder of sin because it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. All it showed them every time they came and killed another animal was that they were sinners. Blood was required, but this blood was not enough. Therefore, verse 5, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering you didn't desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased, so I said, here I am. I have come to do your will, O God. See, these offerings and sacrifices were not enough, but Jesus came, the body prepared for him. Look down at verse 10. By that will, by that obedience to the perfect will of God, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Who are we, God's people? We are those who no longer bring bulls and goats and rams to be remind us of our sin. We are those who have Jesus himself, perfectly obedient to God, sacrificed that his blood might make us perfect, holy, able to enter into the presence of God himself. The writer goes on to continue priests. The old priests, they had to do it day after day after day after day. They had to keep coming and keep offering the sacrifices. Whereas Jesus, verse 12, when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down. It's done at the right hand of God, and he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool, because, verse 14, by that one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. This is you, by the way, it's talking about. Don't miss that. Made perfect forever. Holy. Able to come before the Lord God Almighty without being consumed by fire. And so the covenant that we have is to have the law in our hearts and on our minds. Verse 17, such that our sins and lawless acts, God says, I will remember no more. Where these have been forgiven, there is no longer any sacrifice for sin. Therefore, verse 19, 
What he's about to tell us, the instructions he is about to give us, comes from knowing who we are. From knowing what Jesus has perfectly done for us. He has died for your sin. His blood was sufficient where that of animal sacrifices was not. And as the perfect high priest, he now stands before God interceding for us. There's one of mine, God. Father, can you listen to him? Call him son too. Call her your daughter also. This is one of yours. And so with that in mind, he then gives us these instructions in verse 19. He says, therefore, brothers, since we have, since we have confidence, right, since we do are able to enter into the very presence of God himself by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great high priest, what are we to do? Verse 22, draw near to God. Come closer to him. With a sincere heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us, having our bodies washed. <clears throat> what are we to do? Draw near to God. Verse 23, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. Verse 24, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Verse 25, let us not give up meeting together. Who are we? People who have been saved by the blood of God. What are we to do? Come close to God and encourage each other in that. It's not something that we do alone. Christianity is not a religion of you in your mind with God and nobody else. What God does is gather people together to encourage one another, to spur one another on. Come back to chapter 3 in Hebrews. Look at how he puts it there. Chapter 3 in verse 12. Maybe we could just study Hebrews, why not? But anyway, come back to chapter 3 in verse 12. He says, See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Interesting way of putting it, isn't it? Encourage one another daily. Every day. I, I wonder whether we need to bring back, uh, what is it, morning and evening prayer? Right? Our Anglican church used to be, you go to church twice a day. How about that, eh? Start the day with church, finish the day with church, and then on Sunday, well, you come a couple of extra times. Who's up for it? Right? Monday to Friday, anyone? anyone? Well, there was three of us at eight o'clock, so, you know, there'd be a few of us here, maybe. Why do we need daily encouragement? Daily, he says. Do it all the time. I take it because doubts set in daily. Because that unbelieving heart battles against faith daily. Because the sinful desires creep in daily. And we think it's a battle I've got to fight on my own. I need to be able to sort my doubts out. I need to be able to stand firm in the face of temptation. I need to be able to hold on to the gospel just for me. Why? Why not have people beside you who help you in your doubts? Who help you fight sin? Who help you in your belief? Now, of course, that requires us to be spending time with each other, doesn't it? 
at the very, very, very least, the, the bare minimum to be gathered in this time and space, in, in, in the big church meeting. But I think that if that's all you do, you are missing out and you're going to find it really hard to encourage people daily. Spending time together. Prayerfully proclaiming the word to each other. We have social media these days. We are more connected to one another than any human beings in the history of the world. Do you use that to encourage your brothers and sisters in their walk with Christ? And I don't just mean resharing an article you found interesting. Oh, lols, check this guy out, right? No, personal communication. It's no, it doesn't any longer cost you $10 a minute to call someone on the phone, by the way. Even these days, you can call a mobile phone without it really costing you much at all, right? You're just prayerfully proclaiming the word of God. We need it constantly. Church, church is not, this, this gathering of church is not so much a place that you come to to have information dumped on you. It may feel like that sometimes, but it's not what it is. It's a place where you come to be fed and to feed others. That's, that's how God works. He uses each one of us speaking God's word into the lives of each other to feed and to grow and to develop. And so if, you, if you're someone who's thinking, well, I recognize that at the moment that I have really big doubts. I, I can feel that unbelief is creeping in in my life. If that is you, then please, please don't stop meeting with Christians. Don't stop coming to church or Bible study. or don't, don't think that your doubts are a reason to distance yourself from your brothers and sisters. On the contrary, this is not a battle that you need to fight alone. You need your brothers and sisters in Christ to encourage you. Now, by the same token, why do you come to church? And again, I'm, now I am talking about this. Why, why do you come to church? Why did you come today? I want you to think for a moment. Now, some of us never even consider it, right? The alarm went off at Sunday. I go to church. There's biscuits afterwards, right? I mean, you don't have to really... Why did you come to church today? What's your purpose when you come? Do you come because you want to feed someone else? You want to help somebody, doesn't matter, one person, 50 people, whatever it is, move one little step closer to maturity in the Lord. Did you pray before coming to church today? I hope you did. If you're going to be prayerfully dependent on the Holy Spirit, did you pray before you came to church? Heavenly Father, can, can you use me please today to grow one of your disciples a little bit? That'll set your intention, won't it? Are you going to seek opportunities to encourage? That's why we're meeting. Meet to encourage one another. Don't give up meeting. The days are evil. Keep meeting. Spur one another on. Push each other on. Even if it feels the same every week. You know, oh, I had to say that to that person last week and now I've got to say the same thing again to them. Yes, persevere step by step. It's exactly what we're talking about. The same gospel message every week. Our gatherings ought to be 
a, a spiritual boost, if you like. It's, it's the, it's the, you, you go into the week kind of ready to face it and you come back bruised and battered and you get reset again and re-energized again and let's go again. I'm, I love Jesus and I want to go and tell people about him and now I'm scared and it's Wednesday and I need next Sunday to kind of get me going again and that's why I go to Bible study and that's why... Who can you encourage today with the word of God? Let, let me encourage you for a moment. There you go. If nothing else, I want you to leave today encouraged. Being a follower of Jesus is good. Being a disciple of this master is good. To be one of Jesus' people is to be forgiven. To have your entire past, all of that dark, dirty stuff that you've done and thought and been washed clean. To be made holy so that you can enter into the presence of the living God himself. Something that the prophets in the Old Testament saw and went, Ah, I'm dead. We can do that. To be a follower of Jesus is to be loved with an unbreakable, unceasing love, the depths of which we can barely comprehend. Even if you are right now in your life feeling like there is nobody and nothing that cares about you and you have never felt more alone in your life, you are still loved beyond compare by the one who gave his only son to die for you. And if you ever forget that, just look to the cross again. To be a follower of Jesus is good. It gives us hope. Even in the bleakest of moments you might be going through, you know in Jesus that there is a better tomorrow. To be a follower of Jesus, he, he teaches you the right path. He teaches you how to live. Not that he's going to tell you which car to buy. or like, He teaches you the character that you need to have in order to please God. What more do you want? Following Jesus is good. He calls you to a purpose. To live with meaning. To live for him. Rather than anything unsatisfactory. To love and to serve and to care for others. Knowing the love he's poured out on you. That you in turn can pour it out to other people. Our gatherings ought to be times where we get together and we just go, oh, yes, Jesus. As we speak those words to each other. Not just the job of the preacher to give you that encouragement. Please speak those words to one another. Strengthened anew. Do you come, do you gather with that intent today? I'm going to encourage somebody in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to prayerfully proclaim the word into their lives. And sometimes we do need a little bit of spurring, don't we? You know what a spur is? You know what it is? Right? It's a little, little star-shaped round thing that cowboys used to have on the back of their boots. Lots of little pointy bits on it that you use to stick into your horse to make it go faster. And it's not particularly nice if you're the horse anyway. Sometimes we need a little bit of spurring, no, we need a little bit of little prodding and a bit of poking and just a bit of and it hurts a bit. But all the more so as we do that to one another. Are you serving? Are you loving? Are you living Jesus' life? Have you gotten complacent and lazy and just 
wandered away. Let me ask you to this question. If you weren't at church today, would it make any difference? If you decided just to stay home or go to the football or you were out late last night and you were a bit too tired and you couldn't be bothered coming, would it make any difference at all? On the one hand, you might be sitting there thinking, well, you know what, no, it wouldn't make any difference. Because no, no one would miss me and I have no intention of really speaking anything to anyone else. So, and If that's true, it's really sad. Both for your sake, that people aren't loving you and speaking into your life, but also for other people's sake. That you not being, if you don't come, you ought to be speaking into their lives, such that if you are not there, they miss out. Do you get what I'm saying? I don't think I use too many double negatives there, even if that was one of them. The more tired I get, the more double negatives I use. I hope that if you are not here, other people suffer. (laughs) But you get what I'm saying? Because if you're not here, they miss out. They are the ones who pay. I mean, you will too, but... Man, I wish he was here. I really needed that word of encouragement today. I, I was so looking forward to seeing her because every time I see her, she's like, how can I pray? That thing we talked about three weeks ago, I've been thinking about you, I've been praying for you. How's it gone? To be that sort of person is to be somebody who makes disciples within the body of Christ. So disciples are made in the church gathering, in this extended church family. But really... I think that's the secondary place where disciples are made internally. The primary place is in the home. Church, in one sense, is just, this is the extended family gathering. And at home, day to day, we have the local family gathering. And you do disciple making in both of them. Now, I'm conscious, as we go to talk about this, that that I'm going to be talking about homes that are really geared towards family life. Um, But I'm conscious there are very many of us who who live alone whether you're a single person, whether you live in a share house maybe with a few other people, and it's not family life doesn't really describe your situation. Uh, and of course, the Bible has much to say to you as well, and this isn't just for people who aren't there. But if, if that's your situation, then I want to hold up for you for a moment the example of Paul. Uh, you could, you're going to have a read through Acts if you want to and just read his life. There was a man who, at least at the time of writing what he wrote in the Bible, as far as we're aware, was single. And he used his singleness for God's purposes. Purposefully, explicitly, intentionally, which is completely countercultural to us. In our culture, singleness is about me. I'm single, I don't want to yet do this marriage or whatever thing, so that I can do this thing that I want to do. Work, travel, career, buy toys, whatever it might be, right? And eventually I'll get to doing this other thing called family. That's By and large, singleness is a selfish thing in our culture. Look at Paul, intentionally making use of the time and space that he had to go and make disciples of Jesus. I mean, certainly in evangelism, right? He's the bloke who travelled the world to preach the gospel. He could. But even outside of that, you read through Acts and you just see his, this constant progression of people, of spiritual children, if you like, 
that he worked with and worked alongside and preached the gospel to and raised them up in Christ. And he just filled his life with people that he could make disciples of. Now, I'm not saying that if you're a single person, you're living alone, you've got to be an extrovert and you've got to have 50 people in your home every week or else. Right? I'm not saying that. You work it out for your circumstances. But I want to hold Paul up again as an example of being intentional. You have time and space. So foster prayer and the proclamation of the word to others. All right, disciple making in the home, particularly for families. Come back to Colossians chapter 3, the first Bible reading we had. See, the way it works is that when you become a Christian, God changes how you live. He transforms life. He transforms individual life. And so he transforms family life. And in the context of this new family life and this new way of living, he raises up disciples. It's not like you have to set aside time for the special activity of disciple making. Right? Tomorrow, 10.30, we're doing some disciple making and then we'll have lunch and we'll get on with the rest of the day. Right? It's, you don't... As you live godly lives, lives that are prayerfully dependent, lives that proclaim the gospel, lives that are marked and shaped by living God's way, disciples are made in the family. And so Colossians 3.18 through is just, is just one of these passages that talks about this new way of living, this new picture of what Christian life is like. There's plenty of others. Let me read through this one, right? Uh, three, Colossians 3.18, wives, he says, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, don't be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair. Living Jesus' way upends family life. Well, it doesn't actually upend it. Sin upended it. Jesus puts it right again. To live his way will bring about disciple-making. Now, uh, what I really want you to do is to focus on the one that applies to you. It's too easy to think about the ones that apply to other people. Right? Oh, gee, I wish my children obeyed their parents in everything. Oh, come on, kids, right? Like, yeah. It's too easy to do that, isn't it? And it's also really easy to write them off because of the exceptions. Oh, what do you mean I have to do this? I mean, what about if... And we come up with this long exception. Then we go, well, therefore, I don't have to do it either. No, just sit under the word of God for a bit. I want to pick on one of them. Eeny, uh, <clears throat> meeny, miny. Let's pick on husbands. Husbands, love your wives, he says. Blokes, most of us who are married are married to some pretty phenomenal women. They are truly fantastic. I hope you feel blessed to be married to the per Let's be honest, most of us were punching above our weight when we got married, right? It's, it's a brilliant thing. Our wives are hard workers. They are diligent in caring and in providing, not just in the kids, but so often for us as well. How often are our wives seemingly have greater spiritual maturity than we do? And they lead us on. It's a brilliant thing. It's fantastic. It's a blessing from God. It's so easy to just sit back and enjoy the fruits of their labor. Ah, oh, this is so good. She does so much work. It's brilliant. 
So when he says, husbands, love your wives, he doesn't mean just kick back and relax because she's doing it all. Yeah. No. No, not at all. In fact, what it means is husbands be concerned for their good. Be driven by their well-being. How's your wife going, men? How is their emotional well-being? Their physical well-being? Their spiritual well-being? I mean, let me ask you this. How's your wife going emotionally? Does she feel listened to? Does she feel cared for? Does she feel protected? Does she feel helped? Does she feel touched? My wife uh, often gets to a point where she just says, I just, I just need a, a hug because the kids have just been touching me all day, just oh, demanding and, oh, and I, just, I just want a relaxing moment of, oh. How's your wife's physical well-being? How's her sleep? Does she get a chance to exercise? Do you enable time for her to exercise? Do you lock the chocolate away so that she can't eat it? How's her spiritual well-being? What is your wife reading in her quiet times at the moment? Does she have one? If you don't know the answer to any of these questions, I guess you've got homework, don't you? Be blessed. And how often do we, are we blessed by these women that God has put into our lives and we enjoy it and then, isn't it fascinating, the second half of the verse, don't be harsh with them. Yes, I love all that you do now. Do more! Horrible. Horrible. Instead of being gentle and caring and loving them, doing good to them. Just one tiny little example to flesh out. You can flesh the rest out if they're you. Of what it looks like when God's family live God's way, surrounded by prayer and the proclamation of the word, that is going to raise and create and make disciples in our midst. Do you think of your home as the single most important space in which God is making disciples? Or have you outsourced it to the church? Church makes disciples, not me. No, do you think of your home as the primary place where God makes disciples. I mean, parents, what's your focus for your children? We want them to flourish. We want them to do good, right? We want them to excel, whether the bar is high or low. It's like, yes, I want my child to be winning races and playing six instruments. They need to speak three languages and get the academic award every single year or else, right? Some of us have high expectations. For other parents, it's like, I just want my child to go to school dressed today. I mean, like, that's, my child is flourishing if that happens, right? You have, and yet, And yet, we laugh, but how often do our actions reflect our priorities? No, we're busy, we've got to do all these extracurricular things, we've got to allow... Do you ever stop and think, my home is a place to pursue their spiritual flourishing, where they are growing to become little disciples of Jesus, where they are learning to make disciples of Jesus? We can't separate 
Too often, sorry, we separate church and home, right? Church is where disciples are made, not home. The church events, the church meetings, the church staff, the church small groups, whatever it is, that's not how it ought to be. I think it's worth reflecting on. I don't have a go and do for you today, unless you're a husband in one of those categories before. You do have a go and do. But for the rest of us, I want you to go and think today, to reflect. Is my home a disciple-making place? How am I going to make home life about growing me and growing others as disciples of Jesus? Encouraging daily, spurring on to love and good deeds, living out this new life that Jesus has given us. I want to wrap up by coming back to where we started. I didn't forget that story about my parents because it kind of leaves a question hanging. If Jesus has commanded us to go and make disciples, should we be like them? Should we get rid of our possessions, pack our bags and travel to the ends of the world to tell people about Jesus? Should we? Of course. Yes, right? Yes is the answer. Of course we should go. Of course we ought to pack everything we have and go. Some of us must go. More of us need to go. I, I, I found a number recently that it takes 11 people, 11 families, so units, to send a missionary. You need 10 to stay and to provide 10% of their wealth so that the 11th can go. Now, as a church, say, we've got 200 people at church on a Sunday. Let's round that down to maybe 90 units by the time you kind of take the families in together. We have three missionaries, so we have capacity for at least five more. Um, So if you just have a look around and count out 11, and I've got some straws with a short straw here somewhere, (laughs) and um, we'll just see how we go. We are so rich. We are so, I mean, we're so rich with money, but we're so rich with the gospel. We have knowledge and resources and Christians around the world, they wouldn't kill for it because they're Christian, right? But gee, they would love to have what we have. And we just sit on it. We aren't comfy. We must go. But you know what? You don't have to go somewhere special or overseas or distant to make disciples. The focus isn't on the go and make disciples. The the focus is as you go, make disciples. Think about the early church for a moment, right? Paul went. Peter stayed in Jerusalem. Where did he go? Well, no, make disciples. Going, make disciples. So if you're one of the 10 who stay for the 11th that we send, it's not like it's their job and you get off the hook. No, your job is to make disciples at church and home. So in fact, yes, you ought to be like my parents. Not in that you go, but they made disciples both at church and at home. They modelled to us what it meant to be a follower of the Lord. I really hope they don't listen to this one now, because now I'm going to say nice things about them. That's even worse. How could I not believe that the Lord Jesus Christ is serious business when I look at what my parents did? Someone after 8 o'clock church this morning, as she was walking out, just said to me, "I, I do not understand what your parents did. Her husband's grandfather did the same thing. Went from Canada to Chile to be a missionary amongst local Indian tribes. She's like, I, this makes no sense to me. I don't, I don't understand how you could possibly do that. Well, I can because there's something bigger. Because Jesus 
needs us to go out and be disciples. This is his mechanism in the world for doing it. And he has commanded us to do it. So we go. We make disciples wherever we go. But they made disciples at home. I think whether they were there or here, they would have modelled to us, read the Bible, pray, speak to those you know about the Lord Jesus Christ. They were just normal Christians on the other side of the world. And so as we set about making disciples here in church and in our homes, I take it that from there it spills out, flows out into the darkness around us, that God's purposes might be accomplished. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word and we thank you for the challenge uh, to not be complacent, to not be pew-sitters who just come to receive rather than to give but father please teach us to be of great encouragement and of great spurring to one another whether it's in our church gatherings whether it's in our church community whether it's in our homes raise up disciples who raise disciples father thanks for the lord jesus thank you again for his death for us for his blood that covers us and brings us mercy and grace and forgiveness and hope and a future We thank you for your son, Father, that you, in your love, sent him for us. Make us good at preaching the gospel to one another, at praying, at depending upon you, and speaking words that encourage and words that build up. In Jesus' name, amen.